Welcome to Creative Engineering. With me, I have my co-host Norbert. Today, we're going to be talking all about testing. So how have you been recently? I've been great. I don't know how it's um, for you, but quarantine time flies like, I don't know, like since the last episode, it just felt like it was a few hours ago. Um, how's it been for you? Yeah, I, uh, I definitely have the same experience. It feels like you know, every day is a Saturday. So it's like you <laughs> Monday starts and then, Oh, it's Saturday again. And then it feels like, uh, I feel like I'm getting a lot done, but at the same time, it just, you know, if you're not careful, it just, you, uh, you really start to, yeah, time really flies. And that is true. Um, in one of your recent tweets, I've seen you had some problems with Apple and one of your test labs. Um, do you want to share your story? Yeah. So this has been, um, something that's been pretty difficult, like over the course of like more than a year, I created this uh, Flutter application that allows you to control real Tesla vehicles. And it was super cool. I, uh, I've been using it every day for over a year, been constantly improving it. Um, even worked with my sister to be able to do the animations for it. She created it all in Rive and, you know, hooked up all the um, different nodes to be able to like animate any part of the car. So yeah, we, we've sunk a lot of time into this, but yeah, so I got the result from Apple saying, yeah, we're not going to move forward with it. We're going to reject all these updates because we feel that it is in violation of our policies. And so by appealing multiple times, um, I keep getting the same person and multiple times they keep saying um, that they have changed their guidelines to where they're not allowing people to release applications that control hardware that is not made for the manufacturer, which was crazy. And I was like, well, maybe they're just meaning cars. But when I asked them, they gave me the example of, well, a developer cannot create an app that can control a Samsung TV and them not being Samsung. And I said, that was kind of crazy. And there's a ton of apps that are doing this, like our existing applications going to be able to get updates. And they said uh, they weren't able to comment about it. And so that was really frustrating, um, as well as, you know, there's many other third-party Tesla apps on the App Store. Um, and my goal with mine was to make one that um, was focused on UI and user experience because I felt like a lot of them had some stuff I could improve. Um, but yeah, uh, they have said, you know, we're not accepting any new applications that will control hardware. And the only way that I can get my app approved is if uh, Tesla explicitly gives me a letter saying that I can exist on the app store, which of course, this is a owner API, meaning that you have to own a Tesla car to be able to use this API. Anybody with a Tesla app um, has to have access and log in with credentials. So yeah, um, one thing that could help is if Tesla has an official OAuth you know, guidelines, but based on the post I made on Reddit, I feel like there may be something bigger going on, especially since you use your phone app as a phone key. Tesla may be working with Apple directly to uh, take down some third-party applications or at least prevent new ones. So that's uh, something pretty interesting. Uh, so it, people have definitely been bringing up some areas that I wasn't considering for uh, before. But, you know, it's... Uh, also just part of this process has just kind of taught me about like how to deal with rejections on the app store, because for me, I am thankful that I have a ton of users on Android, even though I don't personally use it on Android. And then I also have a lot of people on the test flight. Um, but it really, things like this really pushed me towards, uh, PWAs, 
all the time. I absolutely love the App Store. Be able to do a lot of things on there. Um, you get to do a lot of you know offline access, and of course you can do this with PDA PWAs. But there's areas in which native applications can just kind of get more raw performance out. But at the same time, one nice thing about the web is that it's open, and then that anybody can release an application. You know, there's no gatekeeper. Um, yeah, and it just has really started to push me towards you know making apps for the web first and then for the app store second. Um, one yeah. caveat with this is, you know, desktop, you can release outside the app stores, which is really cool. And I think that's an awesome feature of it. But yeah, I was just curious your thoughts on, you know, gatekeeping and if you've had similar experience with Google Play. Yeah, like it really sucks that um, you can't do too much because the app store is the thing people are using. Like, are there are options to distribute apps on iOS or is it exclusively app store? Yeah. So when it comes to, you know, releasing other applications, the only real thing that you can do is, um, you know, have like a enterprise profile, which they've been really, um, you know, cutting that down recently because, if you release an app uh, with a provision profile, for example, on the App Store, the only way that they can install it is if they go and install the profile directly, and then they get access to the app via a link or whatever. But um, I know there was like a class action lawsuit against them recently about the fact that you couldn't install third-party apps sideloaded. So yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, one of the reasons why the App Store is so protecting of this is because you know they want their their cut of their, all the sales so if you're on the mm -hmm. app store for example you have to abide by the guidelines which means that you give like 30 percent of your in-app purchases you give 30 percent of your subscription costs and yeah you're not allowed i don't know if people know this but when you when you have an in-app purchase you're not allowed to use stripe or paypal you have to use the app store um, purchase for this same for mm -hmm. google play but because of this, it means that um, they get a cut of everything, which is fine. You know, they're hosting the app store and all this other stuff, but it still kind of stinks that there's no third party option because sometimes there's just applications that exist in the world that, you know, I get it. There's going to be malicious apps out there always. Apps can be abused, but there's always going to be apps out there that don't really fit the mold and, you know, are community driven apps. Like, for example, like mm -hmm. what if your your favorite or I had a Honda Civic at one time. So one thing that was crazy is like after, you know, it was like a 2014 or something. And then when I got the car, you know, the next version supported CarPlay. That same model could have supported CarPlay. It has the same hardware, but they chose not to update it. It's not like a Tesla. I can't just get an over-the-air update. And in those situations, I feel like after a certain amount of time, they should allow, like open it up to let you do anything. Um, you know, like a developer should be able to just install stuff on it uh, when it's unsupported. For example, like on Mac OS and iOS, I think it would be really cool is like when Apple unsupports an iPad or an iPhone. I think it'd be cool if then they re they remove the restriction of only installing App Store apps. Because think about how many apps you download on the App Store, like on iOS, on an unsupported device, it wouldn't work. Almost all of them require the latest. So mm -hmm. being able to like extend the life to be, you know, okay, well, we can just install any application. And of course, you know, you can always install stuff directly from Xcode, but I just think that there's a bigger market 
for this kind of area of applications that live outside the life um, of the device. Yes. Yeah, talking about the um, not being allowed to use Stripe nor payment platform, wasn't there a big thing with Spotify, I think, where they were using some sort of third-party um, payment service and Apple really didn't like it? Or Yeah, so... Well, Spotify, yeah, they had a really big problem with that. It's um, specifically their guidelines are about offering a subscription that goes outside the app store. You're not allowed mm -hmm. to link to that subscription website. You have to offer that subscription um, via a link, uh, via the app store purchases inside the application, which really sucks. But what's interesting is for on-demand video services like Amazon, they recently changed the rules that lets you... If you have a subscription like Amazon Prime, they're allowing people to sign up for that subscription um, inside the application, which is kind of crazy. That's never been done before. This is also the same reason why Amazon Kindle, you can't buy books on the iOS app. You have to go to Amazon website, which it doesn't link you to, and you just have to kind of like figure it out that well, if I buy wow. it on the website, then it'll work on uh, the mobile, which this is interesting. This doesn't apply to PWAs. So I can have a PWA do whatever I want on the app store and I install it to my home screen. But the second that it's inside the app store, um, I have to abide by all these rules. So I'm very unsure about this, but wasn't there some problems with PWAs on iOS too? Like that iOS doesn't support or will not support PWAs as much as they should? Or am I, am I wrong? Well, it's kind of funny because at the beginning of the app store, Steve said that all you need is PWAs. Um, <laughs> you know, all he said that everyone would just need websites and that'd be enough. This is before the app store existed. So to, they've always had this approach, but then when the app store launched, they kind of started changing their mind. But I would say that iOS has pretty good PWA support. You can do all your offline stuff, your service workers, and um, I've had pretty good experiences with it. Um, there are, you know, obviously edge cases, but... Um, it may not be, have the latest features as Chrome, but I know that they they do support a ton of PWA features. In fact, I filed a radar once and about a PWA not launching correctly with uh, OAuth, and they had that bug fixed within you know a day or two. So I definitely know there's a lot of active development on PWAs on Safari. Interesting. Good to know. So um, have you heard Flur just passed 2 million people developing with Flur? Which is that big news. Is, that is crazy. <laughs> that is so many people. That is bigger than most countries, <laughs> which is <laughs> nuts. Yeah, I uh, and also I think did you see there was like fifty thousand Flutter applications on Google Play? Yes, like fifty thousand. Like that's a ton. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool yeah. to have some sort of section in the Google Play Store made with Flutter or something like that. That would be cool. <laughs> that would be really cool. Um, yeah, and also I think it'd just be cool to have a, a conference with 2 million people. That'd be awesome as well. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how much of that is China, though. I don't hear too much about uh, Flora in China, but I think the community there is actually pretty big. Well, you have people like Alibaba, and I'm, if I'm not mistaken, yes. I think they have like over 150,000 employees and stuff like that. But I know that they use Flutter for their applications. Yes, and yeah, I think, I think China is at least maybe a third of that. I don't know. I could be wrong. Could be, could be, yeah. 
And then also an interesting fact about um, the survey was that 80% of the people are using Windows. <laughs> that was a shock to me. <laughs> yes. Like I was, of course, people are using Windows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's pretty interesting though. Um, crazy to see how Flutter is evolving too. I mean, these were definitely not the same surveys that I remember uh, when they came out. I think when Flutter was first starting, Mac OS definitely had a, a bigger share of those people using it. Oh, didn't know about that, but yeah, maybe. But yeah, I think like the mass of the people is using Windows because Windows is just working on so many different devices. Like for, for Mac, you have to have the one from Apple. Well, the only thing that, the reason why I thought it was more Mac users would be because um, Mac OS and iOS both require a Mac. And that's two of their six platforms. So I thought that's that true. maybe there would be a lot more. Um, but yeah, I guess... Uh, the thing to counteract that is there's a lot more people using Code Magic now to be able to release their applications, and a lot of people don't need a Mac when they're using Flutter. That's true. That's true. Talking about Code Magic, let's get to our next topic, which is testing. Oh um, yes. <laughs> um, okay. So first off, um, testing, state management, and the trade-offs uh, regarding testability. What are your opinions? Yeah, so I think when people are first starting with Flutter applications, they may not re think about testing in mind when they're creating these applications. Um, one of the things I always like to do is, you know, it's not always about choosing the quickest solution. It's about choosing the solution that can be tested, scalable, and that other people can come in after me and be able to work on this code. Mm -hmm. um, there's a thing right. called test-driven development where we develop code, you know, testing and then kind of iterate upon it. But um, yeah, I think there are many state management solutions out there and they all have their trade-offs and their advantages for testing. For example, um, not many people know this, but if you use Redux, you can time travel. So when you're testing, you can actually replay all the events that the user has made up to that point, which I think is really cool. Uh, Block has its own testing library, which is really nice. So you can mock different um, data, mm -hmm. as well as, you know, you have, um, provider, which can, if you, you can, you know, mock out all the, the, the trees and stuff like that. But, you know, when it comes down to writing your actual code, I think the biggest thing is, you know, for me, it's folder structure. So if I have my, you know, my data layer and my different layers on this side of the application, I'm have my UI folder. I know that I'm going to be writing widget tests for the UI folder and then unit tests and everything else for the other folders and layers. Because, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you're not careful, you can kind of start to put a lot of your, your logic inside of your widgets. And while that's fine and easy to do, it can be really hard to kind of break that out and start testing individual core functions to make sure that these functions are working correctly and as expected. Yes. Talking about folder structures. So I see like mostly two camps of people. The one camp who's... Um, um, separating code by whether it's UI, where it's logic, where it's models. And there's the people who separate code by the feature. Like if the code belongs to the same feature, it's in the same folder. What do you do? Yeah, I I do. I have a UI folder which with different screens and then mm -hmm. subfolders. I mean, and then I have a a source or a data folder, which in each one of those I have a classes models. I have blocks and I try to separate it out by 
um, feature for sure. Because like I have like an authentication block, I have an editor block, I have a settings block, and each one of them are scoped to a specific thing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're not so specific to a specific screen. Um, I have some seen people use um, blocks or different things to have one per screen, which is also pretty cool. Um, I guess it just really depends on yeah how you structure it. But as long as you have a standard and you just stick to it, um, yes. consistency is really important. Yeah, I'm doing something um, similar. So basically, if something is one feature, which is really scoped to the feature, I put everything in um, one folder, like the block, the, the services, the UI, the screens, um, having a consistent structure between those features too. But if something's like uh, globally available, for example, configuration, auth or something, I also put in some sort of a more globally placed folder. Yes, and also when it comes to these trade-offs too, I think, you know, it's not just about testing too. It's all about logging and analytics um, as well as mocking. Mm-hmm. So what kind of stuff do you use to like set up your logging? Because I know there's a bunch of different packages out there, but I was curious what your approach has been. Um, okay, that's pretty interesting because I'm still f- trying to figure out um, what the best way of approaching this is. Like what I've seen and what I've done myself um, in the past two is um, with the blog package, you have all those events and you can register a block delegate, which um, listens to all of those events. So basically all the events which is which the user is producing and which is flowing through your application, you can just have a delegate which listens to all of them and does logging with that. My main problem with this approach is you end up with mostly one huge class, which yeah. does a lot of logging, a lot of if-elses. And also, um, sometimes you have events which you just use for internal purposes and you don't actually want to flow through your whole logging pipeline and i think right now i'm more i'm going back to having the analytics in live in the block like of course not in the ui but just having it in the um block whenever some sort of event is coming in or a method is called what are you doing yeah, for me, I like to use a couple different tools. So there's Lumberjack, I believe it's called, uh, Logger, and um, this other uh, package. But the biggest thing for me is scoping out different type of log events. So I have a warning, an error, an exception, uh, info, um, just a regular debug level. And that way I can filter out my logs based on each one of those things. Um, in the past, I've even gone as far as to create you know, a SQL-like database that then stores these logs for the mm-hmm. user. So then I can even filter it based on the user ID. So every time I do a new log event, I just add it to a row and a table. And then that way, when a user clicks on a button like send logs, like if they're sending feedback, I can actually just grab those that data set from a query and then send it up. Interesting. But what's interesting is... Um, yeah, you can also use tools out there like Sentry to where if you wrap it, you can then um, run a zoned app. Have you ever run a yes. zoned app in Flutter? Yes, I'm using Sentry all the time. It's, yeah, uh, it's but zoned app is really cool because it's just part of Dart itself and it allows you to like anytime there's an exception, you can actually mm-hmm. you know intercept that as well as there's a Flutter on error. So you can yes. even customize your own error screens for Flutter. That's true, yeah. Using it in most of my apps right now. Um, just takes off all the exception handling, which like you you would be losing those exception. You would be having no idea what happens in your app, 
and it's a great way to find out um, weird things that are happening and <laughs> you may not see in development. Yes. Uh, for me, before we had desktop, my biggest, you know, bane of my existence was every time I ran my application on iPhone 5, it was like my application would just come to a halt because it was like the UI was so small that, or it was, I think it was the iPhone 4. The iPhone 5 had worked, but the iPhone 4 in landscape with the keyboard up was <laughs> the worst that I ever had to deal with. I think it was less than an inch from the top of the keyboard to the top of the screen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and then you have like, you know, when you have an app bar there, like there's no room for content. So it's like, you know, uh, I had many uh, people complain like project managers and stuff like, oh, well, the boss is using the iPhone 4, so we have to make it work. And it's like, man, it's Ooh. just like, so my solution in those were usually to disable um, orientation. So it would yes. almost always be just a portrait app. So yes, that, um, that's what I see a lot of people are doing. Yeah, it's, it's pretty insane. And then I don't know. Um, if you've had the same similar experience on Android, but for me, I, this is why I always wondered why, you know, on games and stuff and landscape on the iPod touch, they would always show just an alert dialogue with a text field. <laughs> and it's because they're, it's the <laughs> smallest thing that you could use to, that could be moved around on the screen, which is funny. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Um, so, so we talked about logging, but what about when it comes to mocking? Um, cause I know that there's some cool packages I've used, like, you can mock the HTTP package so that you can, you know, if as long as you uh, follow the example, you can then like, you know, intercept and say, when I do a post request at this endpoint, I want to return this response. And then, so mm -hmm. what kind of stuff have you done around mocking? Mm, so mostly for my blocks and for all service components, which have some sort of dependency, like a network dependency or something, uh, I follow the dependency injection principle and instead of creating a network class class or something um, by myself, I just um, have a dependency on it, like have an argument in the constructor. When it comes to testing, uh, you can use Mokito to have a mock class of that. For example, if we're doing HTTP requests, I wouldn't even have to mock the actual HTTP request because I'd be mocking the network class, which has methods like get user ID. And instead of then going through the HTTP call, I just uh, return some mock value, which is super cool because uh, with Mokito, you can also do of assertions, for example, that the method which uh, you think should be called once is actually called once, um, which is super cool if you have all these uh, mock classes because you can just test your logic component by itself um, and just just focus on the thing that matters. What, what are you doing? Yeah, I was using that package too, but uh, the more you talk about, the more I realize I'm not using it correctly. So yeah, it uh, that's that's a really powerful one. Um, for me, I also try to mock out, you know, my Firebase stuff. I know there's a couple different like mock Firestore and um, just different various ones for that. But by using those... Yeah, um, and we'll we'll have links in the description. But yeah, what's cool about that is like I can mock out my test because you know sometimes you have parts of your application that maybe you don't have tests for because it's code that lives in other packages and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I think this is also another point which I wanted to bring up, which is making sure that we're using packages that have tests so that those are individually testable because <laughs> you may spend you know hours debugging your application just to realize it's a bug in a package. Uh, I know the pain. <laughs> Yes, and I know I need to be, you know, we always need to add more tests for our packages, so, yeah. yeah it's, uh, tests are hard because if you're writing code for 
the package itself, you're seeing the progress, you're seeing cool lights showing up on your phone, you're making stuff. But when you're writing tests, you're not doing any yeah. real progress. Like you're being a good citizen, like you're doing your tests, but nobody's like yeah. a lot of people don't actually care that much about tests. And it's it's like in an interesting state. Like everybody is talking about how you should write tests, but in reality, a lot of people or maybe even most people are not really writing tests. And it's always fun to see. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like um, it's instant gratification versus delayed gratification. I, yes. I when I finish writing a test suite, I do feel pretty awesome, but That's not until I get them all running and debug all the issues leading up to that point because. <laughs> When you can't get a test working, it's so easy to just be like, yeah, well, I just want to have a test for this. <laughs> but, you know, uh, it, that, that to me, yeah, it's, you know, with, yeah, you're, like you said, when you're writing UI, it's super fun and you can write fast, you can break things. But when you write tests, it, you, you have responsibility because then now <laughs> if I refactor the application, the test will break and you got to make sure that all those things uh, work out, which is another reason why I wanted to bring up the, um, the layers because, if you're writing your tests to where you're testing, having unit tests, you should be able to change your UI without your unit test failing um, because all your logic should not be in the UI layer, mm -hmm. um, which is a huge advantage of separating your application logic out, um, which I think a lot of people don't realize. Yes, that's true. Like just having the um, confidence that the layers you're building your app on top of are working um, helps helps a lot. Like you know the network layer is always going to work the whatever refresh token is doing its thing, it, the caching works, and all you have to really worry about when it comes to refactoring is that looks pretty and, and you can be sure that it is correct. Yes, yeah. And then also recently I've started to te mock, like mock the file system and doing tests around that. Have you worked with that at all? I haven't. Can you um, tell us about, about your experiences? Yeah, so uh, I found it first when I was using the local storage package. And what's cool about it is it lets you test, like mock, like file systems, directories, files, folders. And anytime that you're using Dart.io, you can actually use this and it creates a virtual file system that you can read and write files to and make sure mm -hmm. that you can test to see if the data exists, if it's updated. And then that way you're not actually in a test actually updating any physical files. That is super interesting. I have some code right now, which is doing some file system manipulation and changing, moving around files. So I should probably take a look at this and write some tests for it. Yeah. And it's super easy too. And pretty much like it's a drop-in solution to where you're just changing the directory, I believe. So yeah, it's it's super cool. So next, what about let's talk about code coverage. Have you what do you do for your applications when it comes to that? To be honest, uh, regarding code coverage in Flutter, haven't done too much with that. Haven't tried too much. Um, what about you? What have you uh, used it for and how? Yeah. So uh, for me, I was really interested when I saw the graphs on GitHub, and I just could not figure out like how people could even generate the code coverage. So for me, it was a lot of like, just, wow, that's really interesting. How can they explore the code and um, discover this? So I really wanted to figure out how code coverage worked. But um, through that, I found out that Flutter actually supports it directly. Um, so we'll have this in the, the show notes, but did you know you can just run Flutter test dash dash coverage and it'll give you a complete coverage graph of all your Flutter code and shows how much you have tests for. Interesting. How does it behave um, with UI? Like, 
does it also show the coverage of how UI have you have tested with all your widget tests or not sure I'm still exploring it but basically I it reads all your widget tests your unit tests and uh, your integration tests and try and gives you a, a a map that you can then use I think it's called LVOC to then generate a graph from but yeah it's it's super cool um, I mean I think a lot of it's like fuzzy logic so uh, but for me yeah it um it's really cool how in depth it it went. Super interesting. I'll definitely have to try this command at some point. Yes, and we will we will include in um in our open source repo of the podcast player. We're gonna have this uh, code coverage that we're talking about as well. One thing I also wanted to talk about is widget tests. Um, regarding your experiences. Um, for me, widget tests are great. Like um, you can run your widget in a simulated environment without having to use an actual device, which is very fast. But I always had this problem of when the widget test fails, it's super hard to debug because there's mm-hmm. no easy way to actually run the application, all of its things like using HTTP and all that stuff. And just debugging the widget test is super hard. What are you doing? What are you using it for? How's your experiences? Yeah, well, to be honest, I I always write my unit tests first. So widget tests is like a nice to have in my applications, mainly mm-hmm. because my UI is changing so much. But I do write widget tests, and what? Yeah, I have a similar experience. It is very hard to debug. Something that I'll say that makes it a lot easier is if you use keys with your widgets. It makes it a lot easier to find those widgets when you're testing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is really hard to debug. You have to really know the code inside it out to be able to write the test in the first place, which I guess kind of makes sense. But if you don't really know what you're doing, it can kind of be confusing when you're like, okay, well, I have this screen not really sure what state this the app is in at this point but i'm just going to go ahead and keep trying trying and failing to see what i get <laughs> um doesn't isn't the flutter driver allow you to see your test running on a real device yes so there's two different uh kinds of ui tests for flyer you have the widget tests which are simulate which run on your computer and they're very fast and then you have all sorts of different finders you can use because all the code is running in the same process on the other hand, you have the driver tests. Driver tests run on an actual device, and the test itself communicates with that device using a JSON protocol, basically sends commands to it, uh, finders, and gets back the results, um, which is way slower. It runs on a real device, but it is the actual app. Like Your whole app is deployed on the device, and you can tap around. Um, so for the problem with integration tests, for me, is it's not as powerful as widget tests. Like there's a lot of finders missing. Um, you cannot uh, get get to the data that easily, and that's actually a bit of a problem for me because you have this in place. You want to have your integration tests, but also do a real test. And with the integration tests, with the driver tests, you are very limited in some sorts. Have you used the integration tests before? Um, maybe once, like, uh, and it was probably because it already existed. I don't think I've written one personally. Okay. The cool thing, what you can do with the widget test actually is, um, you can visualize the UI by, um, running a command, which I will look up and we'll post them in the show notes. Um, but the problem with that is, um, uh, normal in the widget tests, um, calls to HTTP, I think also to Dora.io and stuff are forbidden. So you have to do some hacking to enable those. And when I tried to run those mm-hmm. tests, there were more errors and failed assertions and stuff than it actually helped. 
So it would be super cool if there was a way to um, have widget tests, which are actually visually visible and you can debug. Like writing tests for UI without seeing UI is pretty mad if you ask me. <laughs> well, isn't this where, I could be wrong, but isn't this where we could take a snapshot? Isn't Can't you also take a snapshot of a render object and write that out to a file to see what the current state is at any time? You definitely can. Um, I think it's always a matter of convenience and how easy it is because to take a snapshot, you have to use the repaint boundary. You have to have the widget in there. You have to look at the file and try to figure out what's wrong. And sometimes it's just some sort of finder just doesn't find stuff and you're like, Wait, why doesn't it find it? It's there. And sometimes it's just super weird to work on UI tests without the actual UI uh, first in mind. Like, uh, it would be super cool if you'd have some sort of application which you could drop in a widget or your whole application, tap around, and it would generate the final code. And when running the test, it would actually run the test. Or if you're running the test in some sort of visual mode, it would run the test in normal speed on that program and you'd see what is happening what is uh what is failing well this is actually where i had experience with when it came to you know when i first started with ios this is something i really loved about xcode unit testing so one really cool thing is like you know when you have a swift file you can just create you know your your normal test uh, widget ui layer and then you just at the very top you click record and then you open your application you tap around and then it will record all those and write all the code for you in the unit test. Mm, yes. So it'll write, you know, tap on this field, wait a couple seconds, fill in the data, scroll up, go to this widget, tap this, and it does all this for you um, based on screen events and tapping around. I even have done this with Flutter applications too, to where I'm in Xcode, it'll just tap on the screen. It won't actually, mm. you know, tap on, like it won't give you like tap on UI label, it'll just say tap on this offset. But what's cool about that is I think this should exist. We should either make this or this should exist in Dart because I was not afraid to write UI integration tests because then I could just like, you know, just click record and then do log into the app, log into the app with this account, go to log in and then do this page and do this and then do this. Yes. And the cool thing is then once you have the test done, then you could encapsulate it into a method and then call those methods. So I could say, you know, log in with this username and password and then I could mm -hmm. use that function to change accounts. Yes. Um, as well as, you know, you can just build these building blocks. And I was able to, you know, flush out my entire application in just a day. Whereas, you know, it, I don't even know how long it would take me in the Flutter widget test to be able to, to get the same level of, um, you know, coverage um, when it comes yes. to testing for that. I feel right now writing these integration tests and the widget tests is actually more work than just manually testing your app that it's working. Uh, yeah, I feel like if we would have something like this in Forum, a lot of more people would be actually testing and just doing this because just tapping around in your app and just uh, like you're doing this on on the in the time when you're manually testing. Like if you have the same um, the same process but write code for it and instead of repeating it by hand, repeating by code without any additional effort. Um, we we really need this in Flutter at some point, and it should be possible. Like I don't see some technical side which would make this impossible. Like I think I had this idea a couple of months ago and sat down for an hour and tried to hack something together. Um, and I think uh, in theory it was all going well, and 
should totally be possible to just load in your application, tap around and then generate the code. I think there is um, a method in the testing suit. I can't remember right now, but it can suggest you finders. Like you tap somewhere on the screen and prints uh, suggested finders in the console, which you can use to find that element you're tapping on. You could even use that IP. You could even use that API. We'll, we'll link this in the show notes. Um, you, you use that and just generate the code when you're tapping around and just asserting stuff that it's there. And you have all the APIs with the widget test. And the cool thing with this is you could have the full visual mode when recording test, but when executing test, you could have it all headless and fast. Like you can be sure that it's working um, because you tapped around yourself and when it's uh, time to run it, it's super fast. Mm. Yeah, maybe we could, um, if we were to build this, we could even piggyback off of the device preview package, which then yes. you could run your, like basically wrap your material app with this this widget and then you kind of enter a testing mode when you're running it. Um, speaking of which, have you used the device preview package? Actually, I just used it for the first time a couple of days ago and I am amazed. Like, I was always hesitant because I saw the device preview um, on the iPad. I think on the um, official GitHub page, it shows it on the iPad. I always thought, okay, I don't have an iPad. <laughs> um, and uh, this application I'm using um, doesn't have desktop support because I'm not on the master channel. So I only have my phone. And I was, it surely must look weird on the phone, but actually it looks pretty good on the phone. Like it's all skated down, but you have mm-hmm. all the proportions, all the layouts, um, done correctly and it's super useful for detecting um, bugs on smaller screens. Are you using it? Yeah, I've been using it um, for a while now. Even um, Amstore used it for a little bit. But what's cool about it is um, I guess I was able to get it run on Mac OS like months ago because um, we had desktop support. And what's cool about that is I was able to resize and freeform any type of screen I was trying to test, mm-hmm. which is super cool. Um, yes. As well as you know being able to change the theme dark mode um you can change the you know the the locale so you can even switch languages and it was really good to kind of do all those at runtime um with his latest update it even um made that a whole lot simpler because then you can kind of just specify a key for your application and it um it will kind of inject a lot of that um in a better way but yeah it's um it's really nice for testing because something that we don't always think about is you know you know, widget testing is great, making sure things appear. Unit tests are great to make sure functions and methods uh, work correctly. But then also responsive testing. We make sure that our UI mm-hmm. lays out correctly on all these devices. I mean, like just like we were talked about earlier, like if you have an iPhone 4 and then it doesn't look good, I mean, your UI has failed at that point. Um, <laughs> as well as, you know, I think it should also be considered a fail when your application is a mobile device. You go up to an iPad and you have an app bar and a floating action button and a list view. And that's your entire application. Like, uh, you know, when we, we're not taking advantage of the, the greater space, it, yes. the user's going to hate that. Yes, I also feel like a lot of designs nowadays um, only have this perfect world where you have the latest iPhone with the yes. nicest sizes. But what happens to the design if you uh, rotate it? What happens if you have mm-hmm. a bigger or smaller screen? And I feel like a lot of the design mindset isn't there with the responsive design. Most most of things look good on one screen, but you as a, a programmer, it's mm, sometimes your job to figure out what happens if it's on a big or small screen. And there's uh, mostly little to no guidance guidance on what actually should happen and what the design is intended to to do. 
um, which I hope is going to change in the future. Like there's a lot of different devices and um, Flower itself uh, calls this ambient computing where you have your application and it runs on all different settings and forms and you don't fixate on the phone, which is, I don't know how big, but instead on the design and how data flows and how is it, uh, mm-hmm. how it's proportional to, to one another. Yeah, so speaking of that awesome Flutter Interact talk, they also announced Flutter Octopus. So when it comes <laughs> to testing all these devices, uh, what are your thoughts on the, the Octopus? It's 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 a great idea. Like it's it's a fun idea. <laughs> um, mm. I feel like you can do a lot of this with the software side. Uh, like we just talked about device preview, but let's be honest: having this for Octopus in your workroom, just mm. seeing all the devices, that must be pretty cool. Yes, it's a it's a reason to buy all the devices because it's for <laughs> testing purposes. Yes, we we need those, Chef. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you know. But after seeing that, it it made me want to write an application that does the same thing. But I think there's some different applications on the web that allow you to do this. So you can basically, you know, enter a URL and you can test it on all these devices at once. So then you can just like scroll and you can see iPhone 4, iPhone 5, like iPad, you know, um, Android devices, you know, general web size layouts, and then they're all in the same state. So then you can change the URL and then they all update. I've I've seen it on Twitter. I think it's called Sizzle or something. It's a yeah. web browser, web browser for developers, which does all, does all of this. Yeah, because uh, really, I mean, we don't have to have the actual emulators running. We just need the correct uh, device size and aspect ratio. So I think that would be a cool, um, easy win for testing different stuff, because then you can kind of look at it side by side and mm-hmm. just see how it kind of all flows together. Because I feel like for a long time, like I said, before we had desktop, I had a hard time when I was developing for iOS because I knew all the dimensions, but then, you know, mm-hmm. the Samsung, you know, Note, for example, it had the same display resolution as the iPad mini, but it mm-hmm. looked awful because it was like, <laughs> I had, it was like the desktop layout on the Samsung Galaxy Note. And then it was like, I would tweak it a little bit, but then the iPad one would look weird mm-hmm. because then it's like, you know, so it's like, um, uh, display density is not everything. And then it was also... You know, there's so much more than just checking your breakpoints, and so yes. for me, it's it's it, it was pretty big eye opener because you know you can't always trust the resolution on what you're on. That is true. Yeah, talking about all of this just makes it more clear to me that we need some sort of application, some sort of test suite, and something integrated which lets you record tests, test on different devices, and has everything which is related to making it uh, responsive, testable. We need something like this. <laughs> yes, and uh, I think we can do better too. I feel like it'd be cool if we built a a VR sphere where we can test all that. We build a virtual Flutter Octopus basically in VR. Mm. That would be pretty awesome. Because once you get it in there, then you can just you know have like the X Men style you know room that you can look at all your devices yes. and see it all running at the same time. Yeah, I'm just thinking about all the possibilities. That sounds. Sounds super fun. <laughs> yes. It would be super interesting yeah. to try it out and see how it, uh, it is in production and how people could be using it. Yeah. And I, I mean, a lot of people may think, well, you know, that's, that's great and all, but like, who really cares about this? Well, you know, the, the thing is, you may not realize you need this until you need it. And then when you need it, <laughs> you really need it. Um, for example, I feel like another thing that's missing is, and some other, um, I think frameworks have this, but... Uh, at least with material design, it'd be cool if we had like a an inspector kind of view where you could view the elevations in a 3D perspective. So you could say, okay, 
Uh, let me turn it on the side and see like how my layout is positioned. So I have my app bar, my floating action button, make sure everything's hierarchically looks correct. And um, there's different ways that we can debug our layouts from different perspectives where you realize like, oh, that's why I have that bug is because this this column is overflowing right here, which I feel like uh, hot UI is really supposed to help us with. Um, since I use VS Code, it's not really inside mm -hmm. there. Every now and then I can see it in Android Studio. Have you used it at all? Uh, I took a look at it once, um, and it looks pretty interesting, but just backtracking for one sec with the UI thing, you talked about elevation. How cool would mm. it be if you could see your routes being pushed onto each other and just having the whole history in 3D, and just <laughs> yes. taking a look at your screen and seeing all the different routes which are behind. Mm. That, that could be pretty fun. That would be cool. Then you could basically have your navigation stacks. Yeah, I didn't even think about it that way. Yeah, that would be so... Because then you're like, oh, well, this is when I pop and when I show a dialogue. And it's like, yes. oh, this is, yeah, that would be really cool. Instead of having to always call like, you know, push replacement or different kind of um, things that we do to get around our shortcomings. But yeah, it's a, that's a really cool example. Um, so when it comes to um, testing, have you worked at all with Android testing? I've done Android in the past and I've done a bit of testing. I know there were a few frameworks like um, testing Android was always hard regarding the UI because um, in comparison to Flora, it wasn't uh, code which you can run. It was this XML and you had your all your application with it. There were a couple of third party uh, services, I think Robo, Electric and a few others, which mm. um, did uh, help a lot with testing. But it, it's been a while and I don't know what the current state of testing on Android is. And um, yes. <laughs> well, I actually do have experience with Kotlin testing. And I think that because Kotlin now has official support, or I know Java has too, but like they, they made it a whole lot easier to do testing. Um, I've actually really enjoyed the Kotlin testing and the way you kind of go about it. Because you can have a class and annotate a function that, you know, at tests with the decorator and then you can write your stuff and then w when you run the test on the file it'll run all the tests for the the test for the logic in which the class exists so you can oh, kind of yeah. keep it in one place which is super cool yeah, yeah. testing like testing non-ui stuff is always it's like it was using java and kotlin just doing ui tests and stuff was always uh, great and if you had the right architecture like most of the time i was using mvvm um, you could have your view models and all that stuff fully tested um, just going to the UI test was always a bit tricky. Yeah, so I had the thought the other day is like, what if we worked on like a VS Code extension where you could, you know how we can extract as a widget or a method? What if we could do extract to test where you could right click on a, a widget or a method and it extracts it to a new test file uh, with scope to that exact, you know, file and then, you know, that part of your application. Interesting. Like if the widget is very modular and doesn't uh, depend on something from the provider, for example, yeah, um, that should be super easy. And what's always a bit tricky, for example, if you want to test a screen in isolation and it has all those assumptions about your application, like for example, you're logged in, you cannot be on the home screen without being logged in. It's just not possible. Other yes. things. You always have to watch out for, so, so you include the necessary dependencies in the widget tree, for example. Um, but yeah, like uh, it could be an extension for VS Code, or it could also be a standalone application where you just oh, load in your your application, run it, and just do it all visually. Because I still mm. feel like UI testing, testing UI shouldn't be done in code too much. It should be oh, the way you're actually testing. That'd be kind of cool to where basically 
we could even do it to where, you know, when you're running your application, you have this method that only runs in debug mode. And, you know, it'll, before your application runs, it, has, it runs all these tests, for example. And then that way, if it runs, you know that your tests have passed if you wanted it to click around on do different stuff. Is that kind of what you're saying? Well, I'm not sure. Like I was uh, talking about the thing we talked earlier about the standalone third-party application, oh, which loads your application into itself and does all these uh, fancy testing things where it allows you to find stuff, tap on stuff, and produce the tested code. Maybe allows mm. you to scan test scoped stuff like you tap on a widget you say i want to test this disables everything else you have full control with that widget and it uh builds uh the correct widget tree for you in the test so this widget can function users locked in and all that stuff for example oh very cool yeah yeah i agree that would be kind of cool yeah and also um, maybe next week we'll talk more about localization but um, when it comes to writing our tests i feel like you know, one thing we often forget about is strings in our application because we, you know, we may provide it, or at least I build it with English in mind because that's what I can read. And then, you know, maybe in Chinese or Hebrew, for example, everything's right to left and our applications have to switch. And this is another thing that we don't think about when we're testing is, have you, you know, switched the directionality of your application and run it? Because you will be shocked mm -hmm. at how many things that you, because if you do like custom widgets and layouts, a lot of the times you have to take it take into account. So like if you ever do like a positioned at the bottom left, mm -hmm. when you're in a right to left layout, you need to make sure it's on the other side. So Flutter does a really good job to do a lot of this for you. Like for example, if you're using a row, it'll switch the direction or um, just various uh, widgets, it'll, it'll take care of that. But yeah, that's something you definitely wanna um, make sure you're testing. Yeah, also I think for stuff like alignment padding, there's actually different constructors and different uh, things which allow you to, instead of specifying padding left, you can do something like padding start, which yes. does left on uh, the non-inverted um, uh, text text uh, things and switches those for for the left to right, uh, right to left. Yep, exactly. And that, that'll really help too. Um, and that's just about being um, more abstract when we're writing it out. Yes, that's but true. Um, we just want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. So, what um, what are you working on at the moment, Norbert? Right now, just usual work and doing a few um, still work in progress projects, which I hope will I'll be able to showcase something next week. But yeah, as I said, quarantine life is just going as fast as it, as it could. Uh, what about you? Yeah, quarantine life is the new life. But yeah, uh, for <laughs> me, I'm working this week on building a 3D visualizer um, in VR that allows you to send in MIDI and it controls uh, this VR kind of music. So that's been kind of interesting. It's something I'm not very familiar with. So it's a lot of research and trying to get it working with Unity. And thankfully, there's a lot of repos out there. But um, if you want to find us, make sure you look down in the description for the show notes. We have, um, we're both on Twitter and GitHub and you can find us pretty much everywhere. We're going to be linking to that. Um, and also we have a link to the podcast as well as our podcast player, which we will link to, which is now open source. And we will let you kind of see how you can actually create a podcast and host it on GitHub pages. And we have all the details about that. So make sure to give us a rating on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere else we have our podcasts. And we just want to thank you so much for listening and see you next week. See you next week.